Welcome to the Salt Lake Christian Center podcast. We're a network of language churches worshiping together as one. It is our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Now, join us for one of our weekly sermons. 2 Samuel chapter number 14. Several years ago, a lot of years ago, I preached a series of messages entitled, But God. And in those series of messages was going through the number of times in the word where that phrase is used. And it was one of those messages that Kathy and I were traveling evangelists at the time. And we had a lot of time in the van. And it was during our discussion of one of those, one of those messages that Kathy picked up off of the floor of, of the van a paper uh, grocery bag. And she pulled out a pin and she began to pin the song that eventually became the, one of the theme songs for Master Mender, But God. And actually, the first three or four years of the production of Master Mender, that was the name of the title of the play until we changed it to Master Mender. And I felt as, as I was uh, uh, praying that a few weeks ago I talked to you about a statement and the Word of God has such an incredible power at times in one word. And when you stop and think about one word at times, like nevertheless. Remember that we talked about nevertheless. Whatever happens, nevertheless, we will not bow our knee. And this is another one of those phrases that sometimes we just pass over. And so this week I pulled uh, that back up again and I felt directed to the Lord. I don't know that we'll go on with the whole series of messages, but for some reason God put this message on my heart that was one of those in talking about, but God. And we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 14. Um, I... Um, I remember a time in my life where um, I lost some of my dad's very expensive tools. Dad, if you're watching, I still am sorry. <laughs> and um, my dad said to me, I was looking all over for them. And my dad came back in the house and I was crying and I did not realize how important putting tools back was until I became a father and a grandfather. And he said to me, he said, son, I have found those tools. And I'm going to give you 30 minutes 
to find those tools. And if you don't, well, let's just say that my dad did not believe in grounding. <laughs> in fact, several months ago, I was standing at the airport and I had to take everything off. And I don't want to be crude, but I reached down and unbuckled my belt and then I just pulled it off like that. And the lady standing behind me went, <gasps> <laughs> and I turned around and I said, sin shivers up your spine, doesn't it? And so I went out looking for those tools and I found them. The interesting thing is, is that I found those tools in the same path that I had looked before. We went down to a creek. There was a little uh, creek that are behind the church in Moab, uh, Utah. And uh, we, the Mill Creek ran through there. And on the way down, I found the tools laying there. I have a suspicion that he devised a scheme to help me find the tools. That's just a suspicion. I haven't asked him. And... Um, so we're going to go through the second Samuel, we're going to second Samuel chapter 14. And with that story, let me give you the background of the, of the words that we're going to read here. David's son with his first wife, or David's son with his first wife, his name is Absalom. And Absalom has a beautiful sister by the name of Tamar. David has another son with his seven wives, eventually eight wives with Bathsheba. He has another son by the name of Amnon through his second wife. And Amnon sees Tamar, Absalom's beautiful sister, and he has a desire to... Uh, the word says, be with his half-brother's sister, Tamar. The language makes it very clear that he is interested in an experience and not a relationship. In fact, the 13th chapter of 2 Samuel tells us that he is so fixated on this beautiful woman that he would get sick his fixation had turned into fantasy and he could see what he wanted to do. He expresses this deep lust for, or for her to a friend. And that friend conceives of a way that he can be with her. Now, what I like about the scripture is that it tells the bad stuff. And so, if you are in a family of origin or you are in a family that has a rough past, and you're in a family that have passed around and been here and been there, 
you're in good company. Because this story is about and can be about you and your family of origin. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you this morning. He expresses this lust to her friend and who conceives the way that he can be with her. Sorry, I'm holding just a minute. I forgot to tell you that this was PG-14. The kids all just left. <laughs> Thank you. Amnon follows through with the plan that brings Tamar into his bedroom on false pretenses and he rapes her. I like what um, Dave Reaver used to say to teenage girls. When a young man is pressing that if you love me, he's not in love, he's in heat. Run away, run away. After the dastardly deed, then he, the word of God says that he hates her. In fact, expresses this way that after that has taken place, that he hates her more than he loved her at the beginning. She begs him. Begs him, let's do this right. Ask the king, it'll be okay. Let's do this right. He refuses, in fact, he berates her and laughs at her and then tells his servants to throw her out in the street. Tamar goes to her brother, who is David's son. And Absalom says to her, you are banished. Because of the customs of that time, that was a soiled dove that then was banished. And so Tamar, this beautiful woman, was banished to Absalom's home and had to live there for the rest of her life. She paid the price of banishment for Amnon's violations. Let me tell you something. A narcissist will always get exactly what they want. And in the end, will have no empathy. Absalom tells David of the violation... And David is angry. But because he loved Amnon, his son, he refused to punish him. David had a way of being a father that did not exercise discipline on his own children the way he exercised discipline on the kingdom. If you think that you're loving your children and not disciplining them, I have news for you, you're not. That's not love. 
And we see the results of it in downtown Portland and downtown Minneapolis and downtown Seattle. Absalom, the crown prince of the kingdom, Tamar's brother, devises a plan. He lies to his father David about a celebration he is throwing together and wants Amnon to come. The conspiracy is set. And Absalom's servants kill Amnon two years later. Absalom escapes to his grandfather, runs away from his father because his father is angry with him, and Absalom is banished to his grandfather in Geshur. And he lives with his grandfather in banishment away from David. Three years later, David's anger is assuaged and he begins to wish for his son, Absalom, who is the crown prince, who will receive the crown when David passes on. And in his pining for his son, his fixer, as usually politicians have, a fixer, right? Fix that for me. And Joab, who was a childhood friend of David from Bethlehem, who became the uh, general of David's army, was also David's fixer. He was the man that sent Uriah the Hittite to the front to be killed when David sinned with Bathsheba. And so Joab fixes this situation and devises a plan to bring Absalom back to the kingdom. The picture here of Joab being the fixer is a key in all of David's life when Joab fixes things for him instead of letting David deal with it himself. He convinces an incredible actress by the name of Tekoa to dress in mourning clothes, M-O-U-R-N, mourning clothes, and approach David with the following scenario that she is a widow and her two sons were fighting in the field and one killed the other. Now her son is banished to the executioner and he is trying, the executioner is trying to kill my son and my son is all I have left and I don't want to lose both of them. The story is not true, but the story is to contrive the David to make a decision. And David, just like he did with the prophet Nathan's story of the sheep, David pronounced judgment and grants a reprieve. He promises that if anyone touches her son, he will meet with the full force of David's wrath. And he excuses her from the throne room. But before she leaves, she asks David if she could say just one more thing. 
after she had been excused to even speak to the king again was a death sentence. But she had a message for David. And he grants her permission to say whatever she wants to say. And so we pick the story up here in 2 Samuel chapter 14, beginning with verse number 12. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Please allow me to ask one more thing of my Lord the King, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives, now listen, all of us may die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. A statement that says of the brevity of life, of the fragileness of life. We experienced that just a few weeks ago with a lady that used to sit on the front row, healthy, strong, passionate about God and Salt Lake Christian Center, and she was gone. So she's saying that life is like, a wa like water that's spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. She is saying this to the king, to David. And she gives that pronouncement. And then come the incredible, powerful, marvelous, awesome, glorious words. Let me read it all over again. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Did you hear that? The message should ring clear to us. It should ring clear to you this morning, feeling banished. Maybe you're like Tamar and you've been banished because of someone else's actions and your life has been upended. Maybe you feel banished and have been banished because of what you did as the perpetrator. Maybe you are the scammer that caused it to happen. Maybe you are the judge that did not seek justice. Maybe you are the parent that did not exercise discipline and now he's downtown Portland. Listen again to the prophetic words to King David when she says all of us must die. 
It is important to put life in perspective. This has been so heavy. I, I don't mean to talk personal, but I'm going to anyway. Thanks for listening. My dad can't walk. He has dementia. He only remembers what he wants to remember. And there are things he can remember very well. But most of the time, it's in a memory lapse. I have walked him around. I took him, he wanted to go get some pictures at Walmart. And I said, Dad, give me the camera. I'll take him down and get him. <laughs> My dad said he was going just for the point that his son can't tell him what to do. So we went to Walmart. And he got out the walker. And he walked through Walmart. He kept sitting down. Wow. This was a man that had strength and power, and some of you know him. This is a man that it doesn't seem like that long ago that he was throwing a saddle over a horse, that he was building buildings, that he was standing behind the pulpit and preaching with passion and power and fire. It seems like yesterday that him and I were riding horses together. But life is fragile. And all of us must die. He signed the comfort page, which says, if I'm going, let me go. And I told the lady signing those pages, I said, listen, you see how weak he is? If you take him to the hospital, you will see a fire because he doesn't want to go. In fact, I stood with him just three weeks ago with the paramedics and the paramedics are trying to get him to the hospital. And I went back and stood with the, with the cleaning staff as his apartment because I know, I know how this ends. And this poor paramedic, I was thinking of Jared all the time, the poor paramedic saying, answer these questions. Mr. Smith, answer these questions. And he can't answer the questions. And so he, I asked Jared, what, what happens? Well, uh, finally I went up and said, Dad, you have to answer those questions or you have to sign that form or they, they will take you to the hospital. So he reached up with his finger and he just... <laughs> And, and the paramedic said, close enough, guys, let's go. We're out of here. <laughs> you know why? He wants to go be with mom. I know that feeling, Chad, don't you? Yeah, we all must die. And our lives are fragile and our lives are like water spilled on the ground that can't be gathered up again. Now that's your physical body. That's your physical personhood and humanhood. 
But you are more than your physical body. And you are more than your personhood and humanhood. You are a spirit before God. And God dwells in the spirit. And God is calling to your spirit. And he's saying you must die. And we'll all be like that. But God is devising a way to bring you back when we have been separated from him. Amen. Listen to this. From a theologian named Bergen, he says, although God requires every person's death, he does not try to take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. The irony that God established a world system that requires death, but then works to contravene his own system by creating ways to spare life. He provided David with a theological justification for becoming reconciled to his son Absalom. Since the Lord makes harsh judgments against sinners, but then establishes, listen to this, he does make harsh judgments against sinners, but then he establishes mechanisms for reconciliation. The king, as the Lord's representative in matters of justice on earth, should do the same. I want you to hear me this morning, those of you sitting out in, in, on, online and listening. And you're feeling banished. Maybe you're feeling banished because you're a prodigal. Maybe you're feeling banished because you're the perpetrator. Maybe you're feeling banished because of something someone else did. And it upended your life and you had no control of it. Maybe you're feeling banished. Because your children haven't followed in your path. And maybe they're feeling banished from you. And you're feeling banished from them. But listen to this scripture this morning. Because God is devising schemes. That even though they're away from him. He is devising schemes. That he will put road stops in their path. And bring them back to him. Where they will have another choice. God, I like what she says, God doesn't just swipe away life. God doesn't just swipe away life. Several years ago, Kathy and I were speaking, it's been a lot of years ago, Kathy and I were speaking in a little town on the Oregon coast called Gold Beach. And in that town, it, would, it was a, where the Rogue River flows out of the Oregon mountains and into the Pacific Ocean. And there was a man in the church whose son owned a, both boats. O, o owned a boat to go up the river fishing, um, uh, up the river fishing, and also going out deep sea fishing. And so one morning very early, he, his dad took me and the pastor out to go deep sea fishing. Now, I don't like deep sea fishing because I am sick before the boat pulls away from the dock. 
And usually what I end up doing is chumming the fish. Don't even think about it, okay? But as we went out and we were out in the fog, like on the Oregon coast, really deep fog, and he stopped the boat and he told everybody to be quiet so we could hear the bell ringing at the port. And you could hear it clear. I said, wow, that's great. So he told some stories about that. And his dad told the story of his son who had gotten away from God. And his son was standing there acknowledging it. He'd gotten away from God. And the prayers of grandmothers and fathers. And in one of those fogs, he hit a sandbar, a buoy, something like that. And the boat went over. And he found the pocket and was surviving there. And, and he was rescued. When they went out to get the boat that was upside down and turned it right side up, his dad's Bible was laying open on the table. And his son walked on this boat and saw his dad's Bible laying open on the table. And he asked, did, some, did somebody, somebody put that there? Did you find that there? And the, the salvage people said, no, that's the way it came up. <laughs> he was in service every night. Why? Because God devised a scheme and it was a scheme that would get to him I want to tell you God today is devising a scheme for your wayward children God today is disguise, is is devising a scheme that goes beyond the cross and his initial sacrifice. Dylan, worship team, come on back up. He is devising a scheme that goes beyond the cross and his initial sacrifice. He's got this. And that scheme may be a hedge around you or your children or your spouse like he put around Hosea's wife, Gomer. That scheme may be a rooster crowing in the courtyard of a Caiaphas. That scheme may include a donkey talking to you. I, I have had times, you know, where somebody speak a word. I, I'm going to be vulnerable, okay? Uh, a word and say, Lord... Yeah, that was true. But why did you have to send it through them? And you're all looking around as to who he's talking about here. And I'm not telling, okay? Maybe God's designed a scheme of a car wreck. Or maybe God designed a, designed a scheme for a near miss. Maybe God has designed a scheme for a brush with death. 
Or maybe this sermon is the scheme that God has designed for you. That if you're away from him, come back. Come back. This loving, compassionate God that you thought was a God of judgment that is just going to sweep you into hell. It's your choice. And this is the precious power of the Holy Spirit speaking to you and saying, come back. Jared, come on up. Come back. The prodigal needs to come home. Amen. The prodigal needs to come home. Better hold it up here. The Father wants you home. And the Father wants you close. And Pastor Ray felt this morning and with this service for the prodigals to come home. And when we, when we read that parable, we see that there's three characters, three persons that are involved. There's the younger son, the older son, and the father. And I think at different times we can relate to different ones. And I believe that God wants us to have a heart like His. A heart that is willing to receive and to bring back with love those that have walked away, those that have been astray. And we don't know who's watching online or who's seeing this. But the call is to come back. Come back to the Father. Come back to intimacy. Come back to closeness. I'm not going to read the full prodigal son parable. But this parable Jesus told to illustrate, to portray a greater truth. To paint a picture of the Father's love for us. And as the son, the younger son who left, who went away who said, I want my inheritance. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go and experience what this world has to offer. I want to go and waste it on reckless living. And the father let him go. He let him walk away to leave and he gave him his inheritance. And the son did waste it. But listen to what the Father is like. Listen to what the Father does. Listen, the Son chose to leave and He chose to repent. The Son said this, when He came to Himself, He said, How many of my Father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is as easy as it is to, it's, it's not necessarily easy, but it's, it's this place that says, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn back to the father. I'm going to say, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and you. And this, this is what the Father did. This is what I want you to notice in verse 20. This is Luke 15. As the Son was coming and rose and came to the Father. And this is uh, verse 20. It says, But while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Listen, even when you're far off, when you're a long ways off, the Father sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what struggles you're going through. He knows what hurts. He knows what sins you have done. He knows what you're thinking and what you're feeling. But the Father sees you. He saw him and then the Father felt compassion. And this is the heart we need to have for those that are coming home to feel, to feel compassion on the one that has ran away. And the son ran away, but the father ran towards him as soon as he turned back. And he embraced him, he brought him close, and he kissed him. And so the father longs to be close, to have intimacy. And we also see in this picture that as soon as the older son heard the dancing and the singing, heard that there was going to be a meal and a celebration for the son who left, he got upset. He got angry. In a lot of sense, this one, prodigal means to be wasteful. In a lot of sense, the older son was wasteful of the father's love, was wasteful. He got upset and said, I have been here serving you. I have been working all these years, but I don't have a, a party thrown for me. I don't have a celebration thrown for me. Instead of seeing what he did have through the Father, he was bitter and he was angry. But the Father said, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so for, for all of us in here watching online, I have just want to give a moment for you to ask in your heart for God to search you which one of the story do you relate to are you one who needs to turn back to the Lord are you one who needs to come home have you been fleeing maybe you're even here today and you've been running in your heart you've been running and separating yourself and just distancing yourself from the father and maybe that's you that you need to come home or maybe you're online and you're saying today is the day that I return to the Father and then maybe there's ones in here that if we can admit it to ourselves and God that we can be like the older brother that we can start thinking and looking and saying why has this happened I don't have this this is going on in my life this is happening and we can start to turn bitter and doubtful and that requires repentance too, turning back to God and saying, God, thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you that you have said in this parable illustrating that you don't need to worry that all that I have is yours, is what the father told the older brother. And then maybe some of us just need to pray, God, I want a heart like yours. I want a heart like yours. I want to be like the Father. I want, to, I want to have compassion. I want to go out for those that are lost. I want to care about those that are perishing in their sins. I want to have compassion. And so I just want to give a minute as we're worshiping here, just to, just to take a minute with the Lord and ask, God, am I like one of the sons? Or am I like you?
and then we can pray together after that. So let's worship together and just spend a, a moment with the Lord.